if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you here this evening. We're going to, our text for tonight is going to be 1 John chapter number 4. Um, we're not going to go there first, which is a little bit different. We're going to eventually end up at 1 John chapter number 4, uh, but we're not going to start there necessarily here um, in a moment, I'm going to turn to Revelation chapter number 1. And so if you're kind of like, where are you going to go first? I'm going to go to Revelation chapter number uh, 1. I should say Revelation chapter number 2 uh, is where we're going to be looking at first. But it's really not our text. It's not what we're going to be marching through here uh, today. Uh, but we're going to kind of use it as a springboard a little bit. Revelation chapter number 2 in verses 2 through 4 is what we'll look at for just a brief second. And then we'll dive into our text here in just a moment. So give you a chance to get turned there, and then we're going to kind of dive into it. Like I said here earlier, today has been a theme of friendship, and uh, how many of you are thankful for good, godly friends? Raise your hand. Man, just thankful for them. What a blessing they are and encouragement, and uh, I know for one, I'm extremely thankful not only for good Christian friends, but I'm just thankful for the friendship that is offered to me in the person of Jesus Christ, and that's what we focused on a little bit this morning is how does one develop a relationship with the person of Jesus? How do you develop that friendship with God? And, and it was neat to see many folks raise their hand this morning and say, you know what, I'd like, to, I'd like to develop a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's truly what we're all about here at Ambassador Baptist Church. But now what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about friendship with God after salvation. All right? Um, how many of you, and, and I, I'm sure I've been guilty of this myself, but before you're married, you're, you're wooing your wife, your spouse, you're, you're man, always trying to put on, you know, just kind of your, your best uh, front, and, and you're taking time to write the letters and the poems and the gifts and the flowers and the candy, and then all of a sudden you get married, and after a few years of marriage, it doesn't quite happen as much as maybe it once did. We, we stop the the romance afterwards and and i see in the lives of maybe a lot of christians sometimes after we get saved if we're not careful our heart starts to cool in our relationship with the lord and that's what we're going to kind of address here a little bit this evening and i hope it'll be a help and, and an encouragement as we kind of talk about this a little bit today when when I was seven years old, maybe six years old, seven years old, I was like any young boy. I, def- I desperately wanted a dog. How many of you were in that situation? You didn't have one, but when you were a kid, you wanted one. Anybody in that, you know, you didn't have one, but you really wanted one. You used to beg your parents, I want a dog, I want a dog. I was one of those children. It seemed like, you know, day after day, I'd go to my dad, I want a dog, you know. I wanted, and my dad would always say the same thing that we tell now our kids, you know. All right, you're going to have to feed the dog, and you have to take, you give the dog a bath. You have to take care of your dog and clean up after the dog, and we all know what that means, you know, and just all the, me- all, everything that goes along with having a dog. And of course, as a six-year-old, I'm thinking, yeah, I would, I would love to do that. that. That would be a dream come true, you know, to scoop up doggy poo. You know, I just, I, that, that would be, that'd be awesome. And if you get me a dog, I, I'll, I'll do it. And, and, and I remember one day when we finally, for the first time, got our dog. It was, it was called a Norwegian Hound. Some of you might be familiar with those are. It's kind of like a husky of sorts. And, and I'll just say this, and I'll, Dog was so nice, but it was the dumbest thing I'd ever met in my entire life. It was just, just a, it was not a very smart dog. And, and I remember when we first got that dog, I was in love with this dog. I mean, just absolutely loved it. It was such a delight to be able to feed the dog. It was so exciting to be able to clean up after it and take care of it. And for those first few weeks of having this dog, I mean, it was just absolutely, I, I was in love with this dog. It was a delight to love on this dog, to, to take care of this 
this dog. But it's amazing how after a little while, what was a delight all of a sudden turned to kind of a duty. You know what I'm talking about? I wasn't quite so excited to be able to take care of this dog. It wasn't something I was just thrilled to do. After a while, it was like, oh, man. Well, I, I promised that I would take care of the dog. And so out of, out of duty, I'll do it. And so I'd feed the dog, try to take care of the dog. But it was strictly, it was just out of just duty. I was just doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. My dad said, you know, have a dog. Then came a, a point where it, it just became absolute drudgery. I hated taking care of this dog. <laughs> I, I rude the day we even got the dog because of all the work that went into it. And what was once this delight had kind of become a duty. <laughs> and what was once a duty had now become a, a drudgery to the point where I kind of stopped taking care of the dog at all. I mean, completely. You know, and then my mom would have to try to track me down. Hey, you said you were going to do this and do that. And, and what started out was this delight in loving this animal. It kind of turned into a duty, kind of taking care of it and loving it. And, and some of you who are, who are animal lovers, your heart just breaks to hear your pastor say this. <laughs> I just, you, you can't even believe that your, your pastor would, 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 would not love these things. And yet when I was six years old, there was a moment when taking care of that do- dog was a drudgery it was something that hardly even wanted to do and what I'm afraid of is as Christians as we mature that there was a time when we first got saved and man we we came to church those first few times and getting to serve the Lord and spend time in the word and spend time in prayer and tell other people about Jesus I mean it was like a delight it was like we there was nothing we would rather do than spend time with Jesus in prayer and and opening up the word of God was like just being under a shower of blessing and every time you opened up the word the spirit of God would speak to you and would encourage you and would refresh you and would help you and support you and it was just It was an exciting thing. It was a delight to love God and spend time in his presence and to to be with him. And then time. All of a sudden, you you find yourself one day and you're reading your Bible. You're praying. But it, it feels a little bit more like a duty. Like, like there's something in you that doesn't desire to do it quite like it once did. You're doing it because you're a good Christian. And that's what good Christians are supposed to do. And so you're doing all the things. You're going, you're going through the motions of what it means to be a, a good Christian. You're going to church because it's a duty. And you're opening your Bible, but it feels like a duty. And you're praying and you're checking it off your little spiritual checklist and it's a duty. And you go through that for a while, and it isn't long till one day you kind of realize, man, the Christian life has become a drudgery to you. And I hope we can all be transparent enough to recognize, I think most of us have been there, I know I have, where what once was a delight, 
of what once I enjoyed doing, what once encouraged me and enthralled my spirit and uplifted my heart, now after a time of just doing it out of duty, now has become really a drudgery. It was it kind of like literally, have you had times where you open your Bible and you just hardly could kind of push through it? And prayer just becomes something you kind of just are, ugh, pushing through. And if you've been here before, there, there comes a moment where the drudgery becomes so overwhelming, a lot of these things you just stop doing. And you'll keep doing the things that keep the public facade going, the things that people see, the things that people notice. But was once a delight, became a duty. The duty became a drudgery until the drudgery just, it literally deleted, it just gone, there was nothing. Can I ask you this question? If I were to ask you, don't answer out loud. But where's your Christian life at right now? In this moment, right now. When you're spending time, not at, not at church, but just in your own time, your own walk with the Lord, in your witnessing for Him, in your sharing your faith, in your tithing, in your giving, in your stewardship, in coming to the uh, church and, and investing and really being the church. Is it, is it something that you really, do you just, are you in a moment right now where you're just delighting in it and it just thrills your heart and it fills your spirit and it just, it's exciting and it's wonderful and you, you just can't wait till that next time where you can spend time in the presence of God or, or are you in a moment right now where you would say for the most part duty probably characterize where I'm at in my Christian life. I'm still doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm still dotting my I's. I'm still crossing my T's. I'm still walking the walk. I'm still talking the talk. But it's it just, it's a little more of a duty. I'm doing it. Going through the motions. But if I were to be honest and transparent, it's not so much a delight anymore. It feels like duty. Like I have to. Like this is what a good person does and I'm a good person so I do it. Maybe there might even be some who would be genuine enough to say, Pastor, if, if you were to peel back the curtain of my heart, you would realize that the Christian life has become a drudgery. I do not enjoy church. I don't really enjoy spending time in the Word, in prayer. And, and you might even say, Maybe not publicly, but you might say just between me and you, I've, I've kind of just stopped doing a lot of it. I don't witness like I once did. I don't tithe. I'm not involved in spending time in the Word and the presence of God. I just, it, it became a drudgery. That's why I've stopped. If I were to ask you this question, you don't have to answer out loud, but what phase most characterizes your Christian life right now. Which brings us to Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 1. Notice this. God says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. God says, I, I really know you. I know you well. Verse 3. 
You has born and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. And so God here is saying, I know you and I know you well and you're doing good. You're laboring here. You're working. You have discernment. You can see where somebody's gone off. You can see where somebody's not quite on the straight and narrow. You know this. And he says, I see this about you. But he says, nevertheless, watch out. I got something here. Verse 4. Nevertheless. I have somewhat against thee. I've got something I need to say to you. Yeah, you're laboring, and you're laboring good. You're working. You're going through the motions. You're dotting your I. You're crossing your T. You're walking the walk. You're talking the talk. In fact, other people in this room would probably say, you know what? He's doing a pretty good job. He's laboring. She's laboring. Look at her serve. Look at her work. Look at her go. And he says, nevertheless. I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You left your first love. What used to be a delight, that first love of spending time with Jesus. Remember when you first got saved. Remember when you first came to awareness that Jesus Christ saved your soul. He poured grace upon you. He poured mercy upon you. He instilled you with hope and with peace. And he gave this to you free of charge. And it was such a delight to be a Christian. It was such a joy to serve God. It was such a wonderful experience to spend time under the wing of the Almighty. And he says, nevertheless somewhat against you, you've, you've, you've drifted. Now, now what you're doing is simply out of duty. And for some of you, you're doing it simply out of drudgery. It's already become a burden. It's already become a weight. It's already become something that you're kind of falling underneath. It's no longer a delight. You've lost, you've left your first love. So how do we capture it back? How do we get, if we're in this situation where we're, we're just kind of, it's a drudgery to serve the Lord, and, or maybe we're here and we're just kind of doing it out of duty because that's what a good, good Christian does. How do we get to that place if we're serving, if we're living out of drudgery or living out of duty? How do we get to that place where once again that fire just is sparked in our soul where once again we're serving the Lord and we're loving on Him and we're spending time with Him and it's a delight it's a wonderful thing. It's an exciting thing. It's an inspiring, energizing, empowering thing. How do we get there? Turn over, if you would. First John chapter number 4. This is going to be our text here. First John chapter number 4. A very familiar portion of Scripture. First John chapter number 4. We're going to read it. And then I'm going to bring out a couple of thoughts from this text. 1 John chapter number 4, verse 19. Very simple verse. The Bible says, we love him, comma. Why? Because he first loved us. We're going to take a little bit of time here tonight to really unpack those few words because I feel hidden within the soil of those few words literally hide treasures 
that can really help us to move from drudgery in our walk with the Lord, from duty in our time with God, to a place where once again, like a revival, like a renewed spirit, once again get to a place where we are delighting in the presence of God, delighting in the service of the King, and we're going to look at this here a little bit to get day. Notice these first couple of words in verse 19. The Bible says, we, notice this word, love, love him, love. If we're going to really get back to delighting in our Christian life, let me give you the key word. And the word is love. In the Greek, the word is agape. To come back to that place where there's a, there's a passion in our heart. To come back to a place where there really is a more of a, rather than the Christian life just being about a bunch of rituals or a bunch of rules to obey out of duty. It really becomes about a relationship. It becomes about now spending time because we love him, because we adore him, because we, we really love to be with him. But how, how do we get there? Mark chapter number 12 Verse 28, if you want to turn over there, we kind of a Bible study here tonight. I know you're familiar with these, but Mark chapter number 12, I love this passage. Verse number 28, I'll read it. If you want to turn there, feel free to. But Mark chapter number 12, verse 28, and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him. So the scribes came, asked Jesus a question, and he said this, which is the first commandment of all? Hey, <laughs> We want to make sure we're doing this thing right, Jesus. After all, we, we live out of duty. <laughs> we, we, we want to make sure we're dotting our I's. We're crossing our T's. We're, we want to walk the walk. We want to talk the talk. So Jesus, tell us what's the, what's the most important because we're going to do it. <laughs> and we want everybody to know we're, we're doing it. So if, if you'll just kind of point a light, shine a light on what that, that ultimate commandment is. Hey, We'll pull out our pen and we'll, we'll check a little X off of that one because we, we want to make sure we do it. So Jesus, tell us what it is. Tell us how we can get to the epitome. How can we get to the very uh, apex of what it means to be a believer? And so Jesus answers them. The first of all the commandments is. Because you want to know? Jesus says, hear, O Israel. Listen. Listen up. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with, get this word, all thy heart. And with all thy soul. And with all thy mind. And with all thy strength. Notice this. This is the first commandment. Hey, Mr. Dot Your I and Cross Your T and want to walk the walk and talk the talk? You want to know how to get to the epitome of what it means to be a Christian? You want to get to the very apex of being kind of super? You want to, you want to know what the first commandment is? I'm going to tell you what the first one is. Here it is. Love God. You see, everything else that we're going to find in the scriptures rests on this one single command to love God which brings us to our thir first thought here this evening and I don't really have kind of cute little points more like three statements that I want us to kind of mull over as we're moving through our text but this brings us to our first thought here and that is this loving God must become the priority in the life of the Christian 
Loving God, not could, not should, it must become the priority in the life of a Christian. There has to come a place in your spiritual maturity. There has to come a point where you recognize as a believer, as a saved individual, that your number one priority, the greatest thing that you could give yourself to is to develop in your relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Can can I say this? It's not just about serving Jesus. Serving Jesus is an important thing to do. Oh, we're commanded to serve him, but it's not the most important. The most important is to learn to love God. It's not just about serving Jesus. Can I say this? It's not even just about sharing Jesus. Yes, the Bible tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's a biblical command. But can I say this? That isn't first. The first commandment is to love God. It's not just about serving God. It's not just about sharing God. It's not even just about studying God and studying the scriptures and filling up our head with more biblical factoids. It's bigger than that. God says, hey, this one thing, the most important, the thing that should be prioritized in your life, the things that should get put as number one in your daily planner, that biggest priority, that most important value, the biggest thing that you could give yourself to is to develop in your love relationship with Jesus to love him can I remind you today that when we were created in the garden we were created primarily for fellowship for some reason the God of the universe the creator of all that there is and the sustainer of everything that we see today for whatever reason desired a relationship if he wanted just a bunch of people to go and do things he could have created a bunch of robots yet he created a human being with choice to choose to love to choose to not and he desired to see his creation choose to love their creator. Now, let me caveat this for just a moment. I do not want to be accused of somehow downplaying serving Christ or sharing Christ or studying Christ. But let me make this statement, and you have to listen closely if you're going to understand what I mean by this. To the extent that these things, serving, sharing, studying, are expressions of our love, They're good. Get this. To the extent that they are expressions, that that serving Christ becomes the outflow, the expression of my love. It's a good thing. To the point that sharing Christ is an expression of my love, an expression of my passion. It's a good thing. To the point that studying the word is an expression. It's a way in which I can grow in my relationship with God. It is a good thing. The problem is is when we begin to, we get to a place in our mind that it is those things that earn our favor with God. That somehow I've got to serve him and I've got to share him and I've got to study about him so he'll love me a little bit more, so he'll like me a little bit more, so he'll approve of me a little bit more and may, maybe, I, maybe I'll arrive as a Christian. Can I say this? That's backwards. Jesus loves you just as much today as he ever will and ever can. You can't get any more of God's approval than you have in this moment. 
And so we see serving Christ and sharing Christ and studying needs to be the overflow of a passionate, sacred relationship with God Almighty. And serving and sharing and studying is simply the overflow of all that God is doing in our hearts internally. Simply the ramifications. Simply the outflow. So often throughout the scriptures, you'll see where the, where, where the Holy Spirit is trying to remind us that we must serve God and live for God. Here, here's the phrase that is often used, from the heart. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 6, verses 5 and 6, speaks of serving God in singleness of heart. It goes on to say that we would do the will of God, here's the phrase, from the heart. God really wants us to understand as his children that as we serve him, as we share him, it's the outflow of our heart. It's the overflow of that abiding relationship with him. It should be the accidental overflow of what God is doing inside of us. Loving God must become the priority in the life of the Christian. Can I say this? Once this stops becoming the priority, mark it down, it's just a matter of time before you stop serving. Now, depending on your character, depending on your personality, depending on a myriad of things, you might be able to go at it a little bit longer. Your character might just push you another little, a little further. But eventually, eventually, you'll stop. Because the only thing powerful enough to sustain serving Christ and sacrificing for Christ and sharing Christ and studying his word. The only force strong enough to sustain that is a passionate relationship with God Almighty. Nothing else can provide the fuel to accomplish that end. Nothing. And therefore, loving God, because Jesus says, because his word says, must become the priority. Now, now even think to the Old Testament. I know I quoted the New Testament about doing the will of God from the heart. But think of Proverbs. How how many times did Solomon say to his son, "Let, let thine heart keep my commandments. Hey, I don't want you to just do this thing out of duty. I don't want you to just kind of willpower, you know, strong arm your way of doing all the things you're supposed to do. That's the flesh. We heard about this a couple weeks ago in our revival. He said, I want you to do it out of drudgery because you feel like if you don't, you know, God's going to hit you with the lightning bolt. Just do it out of duty because that's what good little Christians are supposed to do. And, and, and what will people think of you if you don't? But that these things just become the automatic overflow of a life that's passionately in love with Jesus. It is the only force strong enough to sustain the Christian life. It's what some have referred to as the sacred romance. The most beautiful of all romances. That love relationship with Jesus. It is something that your spouse cannot give you. It is something that your child cannot give you. It is something your best friend can't give you, your pastor can't give you, and another person in this church can't give you. And when you look to the spouse or the child or the pastor or this other person to provide that, you will be let down every time. Because only Jesus, only a passionate, sacred romance with him has the energy and the fuel to to give you what it takes to, to charge into serving and to sharing, and to living for him. 
loving God, must become the priority in the life of a Christian. And that we would love him from the heart. 1 John chapter number 4 verse 19. I'm going to move back there here just a minute. Kind of our text that we've been wading through this evening. 1 John chapter number 4 verse 19. Here's what it says. We love. We focused on that word love. That, that love has to be the priority. Notice this. Here's the next word. Him. Now focus on this for a moment. We love Him. Him. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ. God incarnate. Our Savior. We love Him. Now, let's focus for a moment on the word Him. We saw what love is. We saw what love can do. But I want you to notice for a moment the focal point of this love. Where's it directed? What's, what's the target? Genesis chapter number 15, I love this. You've heard, me, you've heard me quote this verse before. God says to Abraham, I am thy exceeding and great. Remember the next word? Reward. God says here, he says to Abraham, I, I'm, I'm the big deal. I'm the prize. I'm the award. I'm what this thing is all about. And I'm giving myself to you. Don't miss over that for a moment. Can, can I say to you, if, if you've not really focused on this in a while, remind yourself in a fresh and anew that God desires to give more than just his blessings, more than just his stuff, more than just awards and rewards. God has given us the greatest thing that human nature could ever attain, and that is God himself. God offers himself to us. He wants to present himself to us. He is the reward. He is what this thing is all about. Which brings us here to our next thought, and you're going to have to think about this for a moment. We love Him, God, Christ. Which brings us to our second thought. Loving God must be an end unto itself, not just the means to another end. You say, what are you talking about? Loving God must be an end unto itself, not just the means to another end. You say, what are you talking about? I'm saying this, we don't love God simply because he's going to bless us. We, we don't run around loving God and pursuing a relationship with him and developing a sacred romance because, because if we're good enough and we're nice enough, then maybe he'll give us a lot of good stuff. Like somehow, some way, that there's something better than God out there. Like what God can give me is what we're really after. Like what God's peace and God's hope and God's love, that these things that he gives me is, is somehow better than himself. And, and I'm here to remind you and I'm here to say to you, loving God must remain the end unto itself. That God himself must be the focal point. That God himself must be the target. That God himself must be with what we pursue with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with with all of our strength because if some of us were truly honest, the only reason we pursue God and the only reason we pursue him and the only reason we desire him is because we honestly believe if we pursue after him and we appease him and we're really good and we honor him that maybe then he'll give me, you fill in the blank, 
a happy marriage. So we do all we're doing, God, because if I do this, then you're going to give me a good marriage. And we begin to live our Christian life not for God, not for this relationship with him. We begin to live our Christian life for something that we think God can give us that is, in our minds, better than himself. Like, well, if I, if I, if I pursue a relationship with God, maybe, maybe he'll make my spouse better. And so we begin to pursue our relationship, not for the relationship itself, but rather for what we believe we will earn if we're good. And I'm going to say this, that it's not what it's about. And I know this is strong language, but we get to the place where we almost prostitute our relationship with a Savior for something else that we deem as better. If we were to look deep in the recesses of our hearts, it's really not about a relationship with Christ at all. It's about him giving me a better marriage. It's about him giving me that promotion. It's about him giving me a comfortable life, an easy life, a life on my terms, a life that I want, a life that I desire. Can I say this? It's not about you. It's all about him. And loving God must be an end unto itself. We love him. Not we love what he can get us. Not we love what he can do for us. Not we love what he can make us. We love just him. Him and him alone. And I'm going to ask you, when will that be enough for you? If he never makes your marriage any better, and if he never changes your spouse, and if he never brings your kids back to where you think they should be, and if he never blesses you in the way that you always dreamed, and if he never offers you the American dream, and he never gets your bank account to where you feel it should be, and if he never puts another car in your garage, and if he never puts another toy there at your storage shed, if he doesn't do those things, will he himself be enough for you? Or are you simply looking at him as a mean? to something more. I have seen many Christians who have turned their back on God simply because he didn't give them what they thought they deserved. That, my friend, is idolatry. Loving God must be the end. It itself. God himself must be be the goal. God himself must be the target, not what he can do for us, not how he can bless us, not what he can make of us, but simply him. When will the simple elegance of a relationship with the creator be enough for us? That's the question. And then please don't misunderstand me. I do believe God blesses. And I hope, I hope all of us can find gratitude in his blessing. But the point of the Christian life is not the pursuit, get this, of God's presence that we can open up and unwrap. The pursuit of the Christian life is not about the, the presence that he can give us. This present and that present and these presents and those presents. And, and we're looking for all the things that God... Can I say that the point, the pursuit of the Christian life is not God's presence... but God's presence. 
the abiding relationship with him. If some of you are scratching your head, Pastor, I think you've lost it. You just said the same thing twice. <laughs> P-R-E-S. And then however you spell the rest. <laughs> As opposed to the other way, you know. Here's my point. The Bible says in Mark, Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God. There is a priority. There is a target. There is something that should be of the utmost value to us, and that is our relationship with Jesus Christ, that love affair with the Father. We love Him. Now notice this next word. We're going to wrap it up with this one here. Verse 19. Ah, Wind blew my pages here. We love Him. Notice this word. Because. Because. first loved us. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us at our very worst. He adored us when we were at our ugliest place. He loved us when our life was a mess. He loved you when everything was unraveling at the seams. He loved you when you were at your absolute, absolutely lowest point. He loved you. Which begs the question, how do I love God as I should? How? I mean, that really is the million dollar question, isn't it? How? It's the first commandment. It should be my highest priority. Everything else, career, finances, hobbies, toys, should be secondary to that loftiest of ideals, that pursuit of his presence. But we're human. How? If you're anything like me, like the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Does that resonate with anybody else? So how? How does one move? If you're here tonight and you're here basically out of drudgery, your spouse dragged you to church and maybe you're just here out of duty. There was a day where you delighted in it, but now it's just a respectable thing to do. And so you're here at a, you know, reporting for duty, Captain, and it's just kind of this duty type of mentality. And it's not just church, it's tithing, it's soul winning, it's serving, it's the Christian life as a whole. It's just kind of the duty. It's just kind of what you do. And you say, but I desperately long to get back to that place where I delight in that relationship with God and allow everything else to be the overflow of that just sacred romance with my creator. How? I believe 1 John 4, 9 gives us the answer. We love him because. <laughs> there's there's this, this love it's not a cause. Get this. It's actually an effect. The love that we have for God is a ramification of something else. 
It it is the effect of another cause. Well, what's the cause that pushes the dominoes into motion that eventually leads to us falling passionately in love with a Savior fresh and anew? And he says here, we love him because he first loved us. Which brings us to our final thought here tonight. Loving God, loving God naturally happens when I regularly focus on his great love for me. You're no longer delighting. I'll tell you why. You've lost sight of his love for you. You're not focusing on it like you once did. You're not meditating on it like you once did. You're not reminding yourself again and again and again of the glorious love that your Savior has for you. You've gotten busy with life. You've gotten busy with work. You've gotten busy with children. You've gotten busy with uh, uh, yard work and cleaning the car and making ends meet. And you get busy with this and busy with that. And you've all but forgotten that you have a Savior that died on the cross to take all of your sin and all of your punishment and all of your penalty and all of your consequences and literally experienced your hell so you wouldn't have to. You have forgotten. And that, my friend, is why what once was a delight has become a duty and at times has become a drudgery. Loving God naturally happens when I regularly focus on his great love for me. You see, my love for God is not a cause. It doesn't cause God to love me. My love for God is an effect of me recognizing that he loves me unconditionally. That on my best day and on my worst day, my Jesus loves me. When things are good and when things are bad, my Savior adores me. And the worst sinner and the most proper dignified saint are no different at the foot of the cross. He loves us all the same. And as Christians, we're prone to forget. Oh, what a Savior. Hallelujah. forgotten and it's why your delight has turned to a duty and your duty has turned to a drudgery and for some you're about to forsake it altogether I know your work I know your labor I know your discernment you can discern who's right and who's wrong but I've got somewhat against you you've left your first love. It's now a drudgery. It's a duty. And I want it to be a delight. So I close with this. What would it take for you to prioritize this passion? That's it. What needs to change in your life to prioritize this passion? What needs to be rearranged so you can prioritize this passion? 
What needs to change in your thinking so that you can prioritize this passion? For many of us, what needs to change is right here. Because we have a just warped sense of priorities, a warped sense of values, a warped schedule. And to be honest, we can't prioritize this passion. And is it not a wonder that our delight has turned to duty and the duty to drudgery? And for some of us, we're about to say, Adios. My prayer is that God would do kind of a reviving work in our life. You see, when we get our vertical relationship right, when we get back to this place of delighting in Him, God takes care of the horizontal in all of its ramifications. And you can trust Him with those ramifications. But you must prioritize this passion. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.